Welcome to our 14th Deuteronomy study in chapter 14, covering all 29 verses, Lord willing, and the church don't rise as we send out Hibelehala uh, out to Brother David Sutton. Brother David is your Hibelehala, and uh, he's a BBF Ohio radio listener. I think he's been listening on the Rumble um, feed, but uh, we have number of different people who listen to all the different ways we have it out there preaching the word in season out of season so brother David there's your hibbele hala as we get into our study in Deuteronomy 14 with a word of prayer father we thank you Lord for another opportunity an opportunity to study and prepare and now an opportunity to present and Lord uh, none of us are masters of this book but we want to study until you take us out of here to show ourselves approved unto the Master, God, who authored this book. And we thank you so much for this book you've given us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for everything. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to, uh, again, another example of the larger application of the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law relating to laws of cleanliness. And, you know, a lot of those laws, uh, in the, like not committing adultery, for example, uh, are a matter of cleanliness. And uh, the Lord will describe here the differences between clean and unclean because, yes, there are areas that we might consider gray areas or areas where we need some more specific instructions. Now, do not steal do not kill. I mean, you know, uh, the do not kill one we've talked about, self-defense is not included in that. Government is allowed to kill murderers and other violent criminals. Uh, self-defense, war, you're allowed to kill. And that's all, This that's what these books are for. It's to help us understand those differences. Um, so, the key to uh, this chapter and all these cleanliness laws that are found in the first nine verses of the chapter. So let's get right in here in verse 1. Ye are the children of the Lord your God. That's it. That's why these are so important. Uh, he goes on then in verse 1 to say, Ye shall not cut yourselves, nor make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. Now the key there, as I said, is ye are the children of the Lord your God. God's people were supposed to be unlike any other. It's not only the fact that we worship the true God and they don't, the others don't, <laughs> but um, right down to the way we even appear. Um, I know some people go too far with that. you got these guys that say it's always a sin for women to wear slacks and women shouldn't wear makeup, women should never cut their hair, that kind of stuff. The Bible doesn't say those things. But the Bible does say that a Christian woman shouldn't be immodest. Don't be hanging out your cleavage and short skirts and attracting the uh, attention of men that you are not supposed to be attracting. It's one thing to be attractive. It's another to attract uh, the attention of men in the way of lust. Um, and men, um, in a, I, I think, in a different way, men should be careful to present themselves in ways like uh, we're going to talk about tattoos. That's a bad, that's a big thing with most men. It's becoming more of a thing with women. 
But today, it'd be like some of the t-shirts I see Christians wear, and they'll have satanic things on it, because it's some rock group they listen to. In the past, a lot of times, they don't even listen to them anymore, but they still wear the t-shirt. <laughs> you know, throw the thing away and get a new t-shirt. Uh, so our appearance is one way um, that we should uh, look different. And God says, you shall not cut yourselves. Why? Because that's what the pagans do. You go around to pagan countries t today, but back in the time of Moses, you see people, they'd cut themselves when someone died. And it would be like a, a lifetime thing where that would symbolize the death of someone. And a lot of times it would be carved with uh, a message or carved with uh, some representation. And uh, God says you shouldn't do that. And it says to make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. It, it would like shave down the middle from what I understand. They just shave like, like that and they'd leave uh, hair on the sides. They'd also, another place talks about how they would trim their beards in a certain way. And um, it's just, we're not supposed to try to imitate the unbelievers. Uh, Leviticus 21.5, you remember, uh, we read going through the book of Leviticus, they shall not make baldness upon their head. And that's what it's talking about, between the eyes in this text. Neither shall they shave off the corner of their beard. And that's what it's talking about. Nor make any cuttings in their flesh. Now, um, it appears that cuts and this unnatural looking shaving down the middle of the head and that sort of thing was the practice of pagans. And so God said, don't try to look like the pagans. Verse 2, why? For thou art in holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. One of the saddest things is how Christians spend so much trying, time trying to mimic the world. And Christian music today, it's just, I, I can't stand most of the, any of the CCM I'm hearing today. Uh, I don't listen to it a lot, but when I hear it, I'm like, that's why I don't listen to it a lot. It's not worth hearing. And they just try to sound like all the secular artists. And that's just a bunch of sheeple, uh, for the most part, they'd They'll follow any musician that's made into a big hero like they've done with Taylor Swift in the year 2024. But she's just one of many. They do it too. And all the blind, stupid sheep will just hear. They see, oh, she's the new thing. She So the Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, call themselves Swifties, you know, that kind of thing. It's been going on since I was a kid, but I think it started uh, before Elvis. But uh, it's just sad. Christians just trying to be like the world. Um, and the uh, lack of that kind of thing is going to, to me, it's one of the things going to make heaven so heavenly. <laughs> uh, but verse 3 says, Thou shalt not e eat any abominable thing. He, so he begins, you know, um, giving more than just this, these issues. He's going to go through several here, separating God's people from the pagans and the way the pagans do things. Uh, the pagans were given over to their animal nature. God says, here's how that you're going to do it. And we've come to refer to this as being civilized. Um, you ever heard of the term cleanliness is next to godliness? Some people think that's in the Bible. And it's not in the Bible as far as those words, cleanliness is next to godliness. But this is what this is saying, is that God's people were to be a clean people. We don't get involved in... Uh, you know, the thing, some of the things we're going to talk about here I won't repeat, but there's other things. Uh, we don't get into sexual things, but that's 
one of the ways God's people are to be clean and not get involved in the filthy, nasty uh, fornication and adultery and everything going on. So we'll read the specifics of the list of clean animals after he says, Thou shalt not eat any abominable thing. Verses 4 through 6, These are the beasts which ye shall eat, the ox, the sheep, and the goat. Verse 5, The hart, and the roebuck, and the fallow deer, and the wild goat, and the pygarg, and the wild ox, and the camois. Verse 6, And every beast that parteth the hoof, and cleaveth the cleft into two claws, and cheweth the cut among the beasts, that ye shall eat. So, um, this is the, as I said, the list of the clean animals. Um, and, you know, steak, lamb steak, goat, meat, <laughs> venison. The simple rule is that if they part the hoof into two claws and they chew the cub, it's a cud, it's on the menu. And what about the unclean? Well, uh, we pick up there in verse 7. Nevertheless, these ye shall not eat of them that chew the cud. They may chew the cud, but they have other problems. Or of them that divide the cloven hoof, as the camel, as the hare, and the coney. For they chew the cud, but divide not the hoof. Therefore they are unclean unto you. Uh, verse 8, And the swine, you know, no bacon. <laughs> because it divideth the hoof, yet cheweth not the cud. It is unclean unto you. Ye shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch of their dead carcass. And it, to, to us it seems... Like, what, what does that make one clean and one unclean? Um, you know, there are scientific studies, uh, medical and health uh, studies done that pretty much confirm that God gave the really good stuff to eat and the stuff he says not to eat really isn't real good for you. Um, it's like bacon. I love bacon, but uh, you shouldn't eat a lot of it. And uh, there's everything in moderation as the Bible says anyway so it's really simple if they don't meet the verse uh, the rule in verse 6 then you just don't eat it uh, that's the land animal rule and again we remind you this is for those under Mosaic law it doesn't apply to us in this dispensation we'll come back to that but what about fish and seafood well verses 9 and 10 these ye shall eat of all that are in the waters. All that have fins and scales shall ye eat. And whatsoever hath not fins and scales ye may not eat. It is unclean unto you. <laughs> That's simple enough. And uh, I'm glad that we're no longer under that um, regulation. I love shrimp. And I love, um, what else are we talking about here? Crab, I guess, and different types of things. And we won't go into uh, a long explanation but this is where a lot of the homosexuals and sodomite allies love to come back here and say well if you eat shrimp you're a hypocrite if it you know as though because homosexuality and adultery and sexual sin altogether fornication anything outside of the marriage between uh, a man and a woman uh, is sin and so in the same mosaic law these other laws are here but you know uh, we've we've explained that before just like the Constitution is amended, and so slavery is now outlawed. <laughs> um, the same thing's true of the Bible. The New Testament amended the Old, so uh, sexual sin is still a sin in the New Testament. Go to Romans 1, 18 to 32, and that's clear in other places, obviously. And yet there's nothing anymore about kosher 
cleanliness laws of food in the New Testament and Acts chapter 10 in our studies in Acts we've explained all that that we're no longer under these particular laws so we're not a hypocrite if we're against sexual sin but we eat shrimp that's not hypocrisy in any way shape or form but um, the the Jew under Mosaic law it at this time this was very important and so we'll keep our focus there just as you hopefully understand that as we continue um, but as we move beyond the issue of fish and seafood and that kind of thing the issue of birds may seem a little more complicated to us non-kosher Gentiles who haven't been raised to understand these things but uh, verse 11 says of all clean birds ye shall eat and that's all it says it doesn't list them um, and the reason for that is because um, Jews knew that you could eat fowl like chickens and that sort of thing but there were some that God said now these I don't want you to eat uh, verses I'm going to read a few verses here verses 12 through 18 they're short uh, verses but it says but these are they which uh, of which he shall not eat the eagle and the ossifrage and the osprey verse 13 and the gleed and the kite and the vulture after his kind verse 14 and every raven after his kind 15 and the owl and the night hawk and the cuckoo and the hawk after his kind verse 16 the little owl and the great owl and the swan Verse 17, and the pelican and the gear eagle and the cormorant. 18, and the stork and the heron after her kind, and the lapwing and the bat. Now, um, one of the common denominators of those that birds or fowl that you're not supposed to eat is that um, these are, they would eat roadkill. And that was seems like a, the main reason God didn't want Jews eating those. I do want to point out, though, that... Um, the eagles listed here because no matter what your so-called scholar or scribe tells you eagles will eat dead things they just don't they're a little pickier they won't eat something that's been dead for days and is rotting a raven a crow and some of those they'll eat anything it'll be rotted and they'll eat it um, and why is that important well in Luke 1737 Jesus said where um, wheresoever the body is thither will the eagles be gathered together and that's what it says in the Greek New Testament no matter what Greek New Testament you're reading um, aetos, aetos, eagle that's what that means so these apostates will change that in their new Bibles to vulture in the NIV and the ESV and I didn't look them all up but I'm sure most of the others do that the same and they're changing the word from Greek, they're not just translating it differently. They're totally throwing it out. They're smarter than God, they think. That's why you should trash the new versions and stick with the King James Bible. But um, we continue and see the Jew under Mosaic law then is told in verse 19, And every creeping thing that flieth is unclean unto you. They shall not be eaten. Um, there's different things you know, uh, probably uh, among the reptiles, uh, but it's it says any uh, creeping thing that flieth. I, we don't need to get into specifics about this, and, and I've looked at a lot of this, but I'm not going to spend time on it. For the sake of time, I'm not going to get into it, because we're not under this 
restriction today. Our main understand God wanted his people then to be separate and different from the pagan world. Today, the application is different, but the principle is the same. We are to be uh, in the world, but not of the world. Um, so verse 20 says, but of all clean fowls you may eat. And uh, the Jew would have known exactly what that meant. But then, um, again, uh, he's going to then say, not only do I not want you to eat these animals that eat uh, roadkill, <laughs> I don't want you to eat roadkill either. Uh, verse 21, ye shall not eat of anything that dieth of itself. Thou shalt give it unto the stranger that is in thy gates, that he may eat of it. Or thou mayest sell it unto an alien. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see thy kid in his mother's milk. That just gets thrown in there every once in a while, you'll notice. And it, that speaks of, I believe, it speaks of humanity. Not only do you not eat roadkill, um, but you also treat animals humanely, even the ones that are unclean, but you, you just don't treat them inhumanely. So um, the fact is a lot of people have gotten sick and died over the centuries because they ate rotted meat. It's true, desperate times call for desperate measures, and I've heard stories of roadkill stew from people who lived through the Great Depression. And um, But God didn't want his people to live like that, and if they obeyed the law, followed God, they would never have to worry about eating roadkill. They'd have plenty of food. But the non-Jew neighbor, the alien, you know, you could give it to them, um, and as long as they prepared it correctly and cooked it correctly, there wouldn't be any problems. But us today shouldn't be eating roadkill, especially we don't have any problem getting food in the United States of America. And of course, we see the homeless out there and everything, but most all of them choose not to go where they can get food. They choose not to eat. They want money for drugs. They don't want money for food. That's a whole different thing. And as far as we're concerned, um, you know, when you see a TV show like the Beverly Hillbillies and they eat roadkill, just remember it's a TV show, not a documentary. <laughs> now we've come to a passage that is abused by backslidden Christians to excuse their refusal to give a tenth to the Lord from their paycheck. Uh, in verse 22, Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. And no, uh, this wasn't a cash tithe, but you aren't living, I am not living in the pre-monetary times under Mosaic law where bartering was the general way of doing business. But there was cash, just wasn't a cash-heavy uh, economy like we have today. People say, well, that's law, and we're not under law. Well, Abraham wasn't under the law when he tithed to Melchizedek in Genesis 14. Um, Paul uh, uh, explains the permanent nature of and principle of tithing in Hebrews 7, a New Testament book. And he was referring to Abraham's pre-Mosaic tithing and the fact that Levi was tithing um, before a Mosaic law in Abraham. And then uh, we're not under law, but neither was Jacob in Genesis 28:22 when he said he'd give a tenth to the Lord, whether it was seed, corn, or cash, didn't matter. But we leave that issue there for those whose greed and ingratitude sears their consciences. They worship mammon. 
that's really their God, so they can't give it up to God, just even tenth, they can't give to God, uh, the true God. Um, so we can continue with the application of Mosaic law for those under the law here with verse 23, and thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there, the tithe of thy corn and of thy wine and of thine oil and the firstlings of thy herds and of thy flocks, thou mayest, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. And we know this to eventually be established in Jerusalem, the place that they would go. And the importance of that will be discussed in future studies. We've talked about it in the past as well. If you look at the past studies, Lord willing, we'll talk about it again. But as we mentioned, the Lord showed mercy on those who lived long distance from Jerusalem. We've seen this before in verse 24. And if the way be too long for thee, so that thou art not able to carry it, or if the place be too far from thee, which the Lord thy God shall choose to set his name there, when the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, then verse 25, Then shalt thou turn it into money, and bind up the money in thine hand, and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. So if you live too far away and uh, couldn't make it to the temple, yeah, that's the way it is now, whether it's BBF or some other local church that you should tie into online. You live too far away to travel there, but you can still support that work. And I'm talking to people, if you go to, if you are involved in an online church, it's a Bible-believing church, and it's not BBF, doesn't matter, wherever it is, then you should support that work. Um, and God gives them the ability to do so. They could cash in their crops and animals and that they would normally bring to the temple, and then they'd carry that cash to Jerusalem. And then when they get there, verse 26 says, And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, for oxen, or for sheep, or for wine, or for strong drink, <laughs> or for whatsoever thy soul desireth. And thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice, thou and thine household. Now, you'd make an equal exchange for the uh, food and drink and accomplish the same thing by different means. The same amount would be given then to the temple. It'd just be done through different means. And I have to say this, the teetotalers hate this because, you know, God says right there it's permissible to buy wine, which had alcohol in it, no matter how many well-meaning fundamentalists change the Bible to pretend otherwise. Wine is wine. Be not drunk with wine. It had alcohol in it. And you could buy strong drink. And it didn't mean it was concentrated or had a high sugar content, as, again, many well-meaning liars have claimed over the years. But on the other hand, there's nothing here about getting that wine and strong drink and getting drunk. Um, I've read enough to understand, I believe it's accurate, that people would buy wine and strong drink, but they would mix it with clean water and uh, or mix it with any water because it would have a purifying effect on the water it would be diluted there it'd be very difficult to get drunk on it it'd be like drinking a uh, a non-alcohol beer or a they used to have a three two beer i think they called it which you'd have to drink a case to even get a buzz off of and uh and it, most people would get sick from ingesting that much beer before they'd ever feel a buzz so um, this isn't promoting drunkenness. Ephesians 5.18 tempers any permission to drink wine or strong drink for us today, obviously, saying, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. 
And I'll add that today's alcohol is processed, it's filled with chemicals to such an extent that you substantially increase your risk of disease and uh, cancers, throat, esophageal, uh, I think it's esophageal cancers, stomach cancers, liver cancers, pancreatic can cancers, among others. You can also uh, bring on the onset of type 2 diabetes, uh, alcoholic fatty liver, which then contributes to diabetes as well. You're you can get cirrhosis of the liver and on and on it goes. So I don't drink, I haven't had a drink in years, I don't plan on it, but I won't change God's word to bolster the argument for teetotalism either. And shame on those of you who do. There's some who do. Some have stopped listening to me because I won't. I don't care. I'm worried about faithfulness to God and His word, not faithfulness to cultic fundamentalists. I am a fundamentalist in the true sense of the word, but uh, most of you are mature enough to know what I mean by that, and if you're not, uh, ask, and I'll explain it to you. If you haven't, you'll hear it in other studies. With that, though, we close with the reminder that all these tithes are to support the Levites, whose whole life is spent in service to the other 11 tribes of Israel. 27 through 29 says, And the Levite that is within thy gates, thou shalt not forsake him, for he hath no part nor inheritance with thee. Verse 28, at the end of three years thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year, and shalt lay it up within thy gates. Verse 29, and the Levite, because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow, which are within thy gates, shall come and shall eat and be satisfied, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hand which thou doest. So when God's people give cheerfully and give a minimum of a tithe, God's work is supported, and churches can then help the poor, the homeless, the orphan, the widow, other helpless and needy, including the elderly and infirm. God's way always works.